This is the Amadon Planet Podcast, where we are learning in order to be better and teach better. I am Joel Amadon, and welcome to the show. What we do here on the Amadon Planet Podcast is pretty simple. We just pull out ideas from books, interviews, other podcasts, basically any content that is out there, and consider how to apply those ideas to being better and teaching better. Ultimately, the goal is to lead people to love others through learning and teaching. In this episode of the podcast, we are going to answer a quick question, then dive into a conversation about our featured book, The Power of Moments, Why Certain Experiences Have Extraordinary Impact, written by Chip Heath and Dan Heath. And again, I am joined by Dr. Gary Williams. So we had lots of positive reactions out there to the last episode with Gary and I, and I am just glad that he's willing to come back and share his perspective on this book. And so... Before we do that, though, I did have a question come to me from my friend Nick, who asked, and I am paraphrasing a bit, why Amadon Planet? Where did that name come from? So thanks for asking, Nick. Appreciate it. The answer has a bit of a weird history, so bear with me for a sec. So during my master's degree program, I had a technology integration course where I created this naturalist-type video that was in the spirit of the crocodile hunter. So that was a show that was pretty popular at the time with uh, Steve Irwin. He would go out into... Uh, the wild basically and find different animals and stuff so in the video that i created i in quotations discovered different types of math group members in their natural habitat the intent of the video was to explicitly teach how i wanted my high school students to act within their groups during our mathematical investigations uh, and to keep the spirit of the video's content, I created this image that would lead into the video that was the old Animal Planet logo. So it had like the silhouette of like an elephant and maybe a bird or something uh, along with Animal Planet all in green. And basically I superimposed Amadon over Animal and tried to match the green somewhat closely but didn't do a very good job. Anyway, more on that in a bit. So it said Amadon Planet rather than Animal Planet. So... I used that image uh, to lead into the video, but then I had that image and I started putting it as the lead slide in my PowerPoints to make me feel like a a cool dude. And yeah, if you hear stuff in the background, I'm sitting by a pool. Uh, It's Memorial Day weekend and hopefully wherever you're at, you're enjoying uh, some good weather too with some family and friends like I am. So I kept, so I, so anyway, back to the story. So I have this image of Amadon Planet and I put it in the front of PowerPoints and I kept doing that until I took a course in my doctoral program called something like the psychology of communicating visually or something like that uh, with Dr. David Williamson Schaefer. Uh, but uh, the real or informal or real title of the course was how to make PowerPoints that don't suck. And that was the, that was the gist of it. So now David Williamson Schaefer was never shy about sharing his opinion in this course. Like that was kind of, he kind of trial by fire sort of things where when you put stuff up, he would tell you about, he would not tell you, he'd ask you a bunch of questions to kind of get you to think a little bit better about it. And so um, when I put up my first assignment and it had that Amadon planet image up on the screen that went into it, that led it, it so it wasn't even into the actual assignment part, he almost flew out of his seat saying, what is that? And so I had some pretty weak answers for why I put it there, but it essentially came down to the fact that I thought it was cool. I mean, it was cute, it was cool, whatever you want to say. It just, there wasn't a lot behind that. Um, But he kept asking me questions about it. He's like, well, why is it pixelated? Well, why don't those greens match? Like, what's the elephant for? Are you trying to say something with the elephant? Like all these sorts of things behind the image. And I didn't have 
anything to answer. His questions led me to the conclusion that the image had no purpose, uh, that Amidon Planet meant nothing. And if it means nothing, why was I then putting it in front of the eyes of my audience, who I was supposed to honor in my talk, right? Not confuse them. I was making them spend calories trying to figure out the meaning of something that had no meaning. His big argument for the entire course, not just for this one uh, interaction, is that you need to take charge of every pixel on the screen. And everything should matter when you're giving a talk. Everything should point towards something. And so, I, I, so that made me think a lot. And then I you know, stopped using it. But I thought, like, I wanted to, I wanted, I like the idea of having this, I don't know, maybe brand, if you want to say, of Amadon Planet. I kind of like that. So I was trying to think, like, well, what was it? And I also saw a talk by a guy who was graduating at the time who kind of had this, what he would say, like brand to his sort of, his stuff that he put out there so to kind of get like a consistent message behind what he was doing. So what I did is I did some hard thinking and decided that I would redo the image, but have it mean something. So now if you go to my website, Twitter feed, Instagram handle, and, and now this podcast all falls under the name Amadon Planet. And so when I give a talk somewhere, so I talk at a lot of conferences and, and do some professional development stuff. And when I do that, I make sure that I have a post on my website that then corresponds with the talk. So that if someone comes up, uh, they used to would come up and say, hey, I really like your slides. Well, because I took the how to make PowerPoints that don't suck slides, uh, how to make PowerPoints that don't suck course, that my slides look different, right? They look different than some people think that they want to have a copy of them. So they used to come up and ask me, hey, can you send me a copy of your slides? Well, this, this, this image, the file is so huge that that doesn't really work. So what I would do is put a copy on the website, and then if they wanted to see my slides, they have to go to the website. Just, hey, head to AmazonPlanet.com. It'll be the last post. And so when they go there, they also see I have other posts and other content out there. And maybe they can also, now they can see that I have a podcast and they can see my Instagram feed. They can see all this stuff now. So it has a purpose, right? And, and even if you go into the image now, the image doesn't look anything like the Animal Planet image anymore. It's, it's red and or red and white and has a, a, a picture of a Earth in it. Um, or actually, now it's Saturn. Uh, but the, if you look at the colors, the colors actually mean something. Like, So I graduated at the University of Wisconsin, and where the colors are cardinal and white. Well, those same colors that they use on the website are the same colors that I use in my logo. So everything has some sort of meaning, right? And so that's, that's where it came from, Nick. So thank you for the question. And if you have a question out there and you want to get answered, you can respond to my Facebook posts, you can uh, send me a direct message through Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, whatever, and it's all at Amadon Planet. So there you go. Now, on to this, episode fe this episode's featured book, The Power of Moments, Why Certain Experiences Have Extraordinary Impact by Chip Heath and Dan Heath. A little bit about the authors uh, from their bios. Uh, Chip Heath is a professor at Stanford's Graduate School of Business, where he teaches courses on strategy and organizations. Uh, Dan Heath is a senior fellow at Duke University's Case Center, which supports entrepreneurs fighting for social good. That sounds excellent. So, both uh, both of them have written four, count them, four New York Times bestselling books, Made to Stick, Switch, Decisive, in this one, The Power of Moments. Their books have sold over 2 million copies worldwide and have been translated into 33 languages. That's amazing. Um, now, the, this book is organized into four sections. So you have an elevate section, an insight section, a pride section, and a connection sections, which 
where they illustrate each of these chapters with great examples from all sorts of fields, many of them education-related. And so these four things are also the ingredients of what make up a defining moment, which we'll talk about within the episode when I start talking with Gary. So at the end of each chapter, this is good, is a whirlwind review with kind of the Cliff Notes version of each chapter for those that are not good at taking notes. Uh, And then a scenario where they apply lessons from the chapter to a situation. It reminds me of Daniel Pink's book, When, which we featured in episode one, When is a Why, uh, of this podcast. Uh, In that book, as well as this one, the author, or in this case, the authors, did a good job of highlighting the points they are making and applying them to situations that that readers can relate. I really enjoy that. Excuse me. So also, Heath and Heath uh, do a really good job at the notes section. I wouldn't normally look at the notes, but I, I looked at these and... It, it's just really illustrative. And um, I mean, they even said like, hey, we thought we were pretty uh, remarkable by putting this kind of insight into the book. But then we Googled and we found it was, you know, nine years ago, it was pretty a pretty prominent point. So anyway, the, the notes are pretty good. Uh, overall, this is just a great job with the book. It's very readable. Um, and I highly recommend it, obviously. So, and, and that goes into this final thing um, before we jump into a conversation with Gary, uh, is... Just a quick disclaimer, in no way will my conversation with Gary uh, or our conversation together be able to communicate the whole value of the book. And even if we did, it would be from our perspective. In other words, if you like what you hear, go get the book for yourself. Links to purchase the book can be found at amadonplanet.com forward slash episode five or seek it out wherever you buy high quality books like this one. If possible, try to support your local bookstore uh, like Square Books here in Oxford, Mississippi, which is where I actually purchased The Power of Moments. And speaking of Square Books, quick shout out to Dr. Steve Monroe for supporting my next book purchase at Square Books. Any recommendations out there on what to buy? Again, we're always looking for uh, recommendations on books to cover in this podcast. So if you have one, again, head to the Facebook, respond to a post, and, and give us some recommendations for some books out there that you think would be good for us to cover. All right, let's get into it. Here is my conversation with Dr. Gary Williams from Wittenberg University on The Power of Moments by Chip Heath and Dan Heath. Okay, we are back with Dr. Gary Williams of Wittenberg University. Um, he has agreed to come back on the show another time to the Amazon Planet podcast to talk about a book, uh, The Power of Moments. Uh, I mentioned it at the last episode. Um, that I was going to cover this book next. And he was like, hey, that's a great book. I've read it. Uh, I'd be willing to join you on it. And I'm like, let's do it. Let's do it again. So yeah, Gary, thanks for coming back on. Hey, Joel. It's great to be back on. And I think that um, this is going to be a really cool uh, episode. Um, This is uh, The Power Moments is a, a really great book by Heath and Heath. And I'm excited to talk to you about it. Yeah, they have a number of books. This is the first one that I've read. I'm excited mm-hmm. about um, some of the other ones. What switch and make and it made to stick. Made to made stick. To stick. Made yeah, to both stick. are both are really good actually. They're good leadership. Um, they have a great leadership implications to them. So, and they're brothers, right? Are they brothers? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hopefully they're listening, and then maybe they can um, find out how cool we are with how cool they are, and this is just going to be a great match. I hope so. I, I hope that you know they don't come back and say how wrong we are about our interpretation. But it's very, it's very possible that might be the other th- other I, side. So let's uh, try to do that. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for for going on the positive side of that coin. So I uh, appreciate it, Gary. 
so I thought for this conversation, given that, you know, last conversation, we really leaned on your expertise in uh, mentorship and some of the insights you had, which was an awesome discussion, lots of good feedback, either online and um, and face to face that I've had uh, with regards to that that content. And also gave me a chance. I followed up with your challenge and I texted a few people. Um, that had been a mentor to me, uh, Rico Gutstein, who was big in my uh, uh, doctoral research and why I kind of continued with my doctoral studies when I was kind of bogged down. Uh, Anita Wagger, who is my dissertation chair uh, and my constant cheerleader. She's just always been in my corner. I, I gave her a text. And my cooperating teacher, Joe Dye, I, I sent him a text message nice. as well. And so uh, I, I just want you to know I did my homework. I don't know if you had a chance to do any homework. I'm putting you on the spot now. Well, you're always doing this work, so. Yeah, I, you know, I'm. I think every week I uh, am trying diligently to reach out to different people in my sphere of influence. Um, and ironically, um, in some ways, I'm also trying to shrink that sphere a little bit because I just think that we can get overextended. But um, yeah, in the last week, I, um, you know, we had an actual uh, really tough moment happen. A former student athlete of mine from Carthage. Uh, passed away in a car accident, and it was pretty traumatic. I mean, he was—he had overcome a lot of uh, adversity in his life. Uh, in fact, he um, is the a rec- was a recovering alcohol and drug addict, and um, and really started turning his life around. Was really getting involved in the Chicagoland area with many different uh, groups and organizations about talking, and became a, a personal trainer to many people. And so it was pretty pretty tough uh, to watch from afar. But I was really proud of all of uh, of all of my former former athletes because I was watching them from afar express how much they loved and cared for him, and that just really made me feel good because those were all the things that we were preaching to our students back then that you really need to, to love the people that were around you. And so it was really, while it was a very tragic moment, it was really reassuring to see so many people come together and um, be so thankful for his life and his influence. Wow. I mean, yeah, like you said, it's a tragic moment, but an opportunity to see uh, the, the fruits of your mentorship, I guess, and putting into them and seeing how they are responding in those moments and, I mean, you can't say, hey, you need to do this and you need to react in this way. But the fact that they actually just did react in the way shows that the the time and, and wisdom that you placed within them, like, came out in the most important and tragic time. So, yeah. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was one of those little victories of, uh, you know, the little we always talk about, you know, the emotional fuel that we need to get through our day and our work, especially when we're in this advocation of education and uh, you happen to be coming from a, from a teaching side I'm coming from a athletic uh, and coaching side but in either case we're both educators who are really trying to figure out a way to uh, well actually as Heath and Heath would say um, we're trying to be mentors who are doing two things which is um, create high standards for those that are under our care but also provide them lots of assurance and sometimes they don't feel that assurance when the high standard is is really you know on top of them but um but i was really you know uh inspired by that by what happened last week but also then as i was reflecting back on this book you know and i know that one of the things that um i think we're going to get into um is the actual connection between this book and last week's conversation there's a whole chapter in here about mentoring yeah um and 
this notion, um, I think, you know, if we, if we, as we examine this, I think it's really cool to see the connections that are being built and why mentoring is now is important, not just in an educational world, but also in some ways, this is also a business book that's talking to, to companies about how they're going to, they're going to create these awesome experiences. And again, it comes back to the one-on-one connections between a mentor and mentees and people that influence your life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, let's, let's get into this. Uh, Again, The Power of Moments, the, the title of the book is The Power of Moments, Why Certain Experiences Have Extraordinary Impact um, by Chip and Dan Heath, Heath and Heath. And so we kind of came up with some categories. Well, we did. We came up with some categories that we're going to go through and see where this conversation goes. So we're going to start first with our high five. Um, so high five is five kind of key learnings. This is kind of reflective of what I've done in previous episodes of the podcast, but thinking about what are some learnings that we can extract from this book. Um, well, first, actually, before we do that, I just wanted to make sure that we had an, under, a common understanding about uh, what they're talking about with a moment. They're talking about these, uh, this idea of a defining moment. So what they say is a short experience that is both memorable and meaningful, and it can be created from one or more of the following four elements, which they go deeply into, where it's elevation, insight, pride, and connection. And so, you know, when they're thinking about those, those uh, four things with regards to is like kind of the ingredients, not all of them need to be present to be a defining moment, but those are, those are the kind of the key indicators. So going from there, Gary, I'm going to give it to you. What do you think? What was something that popped out to you as a key learning? Well, I think I, I just talked about it. And so I think uh, one of the key elements within there is the role that mentors play in terms of how to help um, help create these moments and sparks for the people that are under their care. So it, as you look at um, a couple things that really struck out to me, one of the first things was in the um, moments of elevation, this notion of how leaders are destined or, or required, or not necessarily required, uh, let's skip that part, uh, how leaders are really there to help fill pits and then build peaks in people um, that's on page 54 of the book and I think it's a it's a great part really early on where you get this sense that these moments can either be super powerful or super detracting from the path that you're going on in your life and what is the obligation of those of us that are with the people that are underneath our care and this really challenges us that we should be thinking in a mentoring style that we, our job is to fill those pits that are happening in pe- people's lives and then build these peaks and help them get up on this trajectory. Well, on the same token, I think there were two other things within mentoring that I think were really critical. And the first was on in, in the text right around 123, 124, when they talk about a little bit about this idea of stretching for insight and I really really got really connected to this piece there were two pieces that really connected to me this was this one stretching for insight and then also the the idea and concept right around 188 about practicing courage um, those those are the the two real big pillars for me uh, in terms of where what I drew from the text um, 
the, the first, the stretching for insight is in the, the parts that really got me connected was this whole idea of stretching yourself and stretching people to seek self insight or self exploration. Um, that, you know, Heath and Heath say to stretch is to place ourselves in situations that expose us to the risk of failure. I think so many of us are risk averse because of our desire to avoid failing. That that real uncomfortability of stretching really leads us to seeking truth. And I think in the end, that is where for us we have to, as the text would say, we have to break the script. We have to we don't we can't get caught up in this wheel where we're just constantly repeating the same things to ourselves day in and day out, but we really got to stretch and break ourselves so that we can then search for that meaning that's out there. All right. Gary, I think you gave me like seven learnings all in one big sense there. So hi, okay, let's break it down a little bit. So I would say, so I'm trying to like synthesize a little bit. So you're talking about the role of mentors playing like that, that role, the mentors have a like a defining a role in defining these moments like just the fact mm-hmm. that they have some power or some agency in doing yep. that would you say that and then you actually touched on one that i touched on and maybe we're just doing different grain sizes so that's okay it's a good it's, we're sorting it out so that a pit can be flipped to peaks just that insight you know that this pit this um which thinking talking about joe die he turned he got me thinking about that uh, way back when, when he never, he said he never gave a math test. It was always a written celebration of learning. And so, I mean, he did a little bit to try to fill in that pit where, oh, it's a math test day. Oh, you know, some people would rather have a root canal than have a math test. But the fact that you can take that pit and say, I'm just going to even just change the name of it. And it might def- might fill in that pit a little bit, or you know, even in other cases where I th- I think that my celebrations of learning here at uh, Ole Miss, I think truly are celebrating. You know, like let's identify what we have learned and then let's celebrate it. I can ask yeah. my students; maybe they have a different opinion. But I think sure. that at least at a minimum, I think that the pit got filled, and it's like something not to be scared of. But the fact that there's lots of people that are uh, scared of assessments and that you're, you're not just filling the pit for your own course, but you're filling in the pit, uh, uh, like a history of pits, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. that they're bringing into, um, bringing into, uh, that, that context. But I, I like what you, I like the, what you're saying there. I mean, even the example that they're talking about with the, uh, stretch for insight, the kind of the little story that they talked about, about the, the executive that needed to that didn't have experience with diesel engines she had a lot with regards to processes yeah. and and so there was a, there was this, like this pit like she didn't have this knowledge and how would she be seen as uh someone who could help with processes if she didn't know about like what do you do with engines but she went out and did field visits and that mm-hmm. turned into a peak like everyone's like wow look at like she's trying to exactly. learn she's try- like and now this this you know seemingly deficit now becomes an asset that they can use to mm-hmm. better the company better her leadership and it's just it it became this this need for insight became this now something that can be used to guide uh, her leadership going forward yeah so when they talk about these pits and peaks and I think one of the 
really key learning things I took from just the whole text was the intentionality that leaders have um, to be able to influence uh, the, these these moments in people's lives. And then on the flip side, um, the need for us as individuals to also practice going through these moments in our lives. And so uh, 188 has this really cool analogy, which is exactly what I believe in, in terms of everything I've ever taught anyone for leadership. It, the quote was, just as an athlete practices his or her moves to commit them to muscle memory, we must do the same with our values. And and that's when, and when I teach leadership, I always tell them like, listen, leadership is learned, it's cognitive, it isn't it isn't about position, it's about opportunity. And this text really brings that to light where, you know, these moments, the 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 aha learning moments that many of us only do in retrospect, right? So when you have an aha or learning moment and you're like, oh, that's what that was, this book really challenges you to seek those out or if you're in a mentoring relationship or in a supervisory or leadership arrangement to actually encourage those or actually create those memories. Yeah. And that's and that was one of my lives that these moments can be designed. And mm -hmm. in this case, like the one example you put out, I, I had that all underlined is they can be practiced. Oh, that's real quick side note. Do you do you write in your books? I do. If you want to see some of oh, my writing. Yeah, I'm all scribbly. Highlighting and writing. Scribbly, libbly. Yeah. Yeah. Scribbly, yeah, yeah, all kinds of stuff in awesome. here. In fact, I, I wrote a couple things uh, about like, oh, uh, I, in fact, one of them, one of them is, boy, I screwed that one up uh, <laughs> because, you know, it is really kind of like an interesting, you know, especially when it came to some of the things in here. I'm like, oh, boy, I'm not very good at that. <laughs> oh, right good. That, that's and one so, of our categories coming up. That's awesome. It is one of our Excellent. categories. So it's oh, ironic you asked about me that. about that. So I was like, oh. But I mean, that's that that goes into like this, especially with teaching, right? You, a lot of times when you look at lesson plans, it's like I'm going to have a whole class discussion. Well, what is it going to look like? Like, how are you going to mm -hmm. how are you going to tie it up with the objectives? How are you going to take advantage of what the students have given you in their own like small group discussions and bring it in like to practice, to make sure that this whole class discussion is not just you like saying the, you know, the the Ferris Bueller's day off you know, lecture where it's like, you know, uh, anyone, anyone, Yeah. you know, I heard someone speak this last week, uh, at a conference and the quote that was given was, um, we are, we are one moment or one person away from completely altering our lives. And we can either do that by choice or by chance. Mm -hmm. And to me, this text reminds us that we have the opportunity to choose to do and to be the moment or to be the person that could forever change the trajectory of someone's life or to be there when the trajectory changes and to help them as, as Heath and Heath say, uh, fill that pit so that they can then build to a peak. Okay. So that, that's perfect. Cause I, I used to think about not wasting any time. Like you only have so much time. And I, I, I think, I like to think that the there's a lot of teachers listen to this, you know, maybe because I assign it as you know required listening. No, I can't do that. No, it's always a good thing for it's always a good thing for the podcast uh, <laughs> likes and all kinds of good stuff. That's so right. Keep doing it. No, no, just with regards to teachers, like thinking about the classroom, like that last few minutes where okay, we wrapped up, mm -hmm. we can't really dive into something else. How do we? How can I think about designing that moment 
at the mm-hmm. end of a class to really take advantage of to not to not lose it like that to not underestimate the power of a moment and to think about what are some ways that I could use that end of class period I mean one of them that came to mind was and and I don't know how this would fall in line with the the elements that Heath and Heath talk about but it was a student who struggled, who repeated the course, who had an opportunity to repeat, to spend some more time with me, which is fantastic. Beautiful. Maybe not for his schedule, but it was good for mine. But then, you know, he just needed some extra motivation, and he was a really good uh, guitar player. And I had a guitar, like, hanging in my classroom as a uh, uh, just something I had. And, you know, I'd say, hey, if you do a good job through the week, you're passing, you can play a song at, on Friday at the end of the day. <clears throat> And it was like, you know, okay, he's muddy. And, he, and he would just, like, at the end of the class, he'd be like, what do you want me to play on Friday? I'm like, how you doing on your, pa- oh, oh, I'm passing, I'm passing. What, what do you want me to play? I'm like, I, I want you to surprise me. And so Friday became this, like, oh, like this, this you know, this concert, really. I mean, it was a two-minute thing where everyone's ready. It's Friday. We're ready to get out of, out, of, out of school. And, you know, he would put on this little show. And it, you know, it's two minutes, right? That could be thrown away of kids standing by the door with their backpacks, just, you know, talking about how lame my math lesson was. But, you know, and I didn't, you know, that was just kind of desperate drawing at straws, trying to get at something to motivate this kid. But I'm wondering if as teachers that are way more creative than I, like how do they design moments to use those things at the beginning and end of a period when you're not, you know, might not be as most organized, but how do you like jump into things or how do you end things well uh, in designing those moments? Well, they talk in the text about moments of pride, right? And Mm -hmm. so they talk about not only um, recognizing others, but also multiplying milestones, which was one of those things that I really took away from this text is uh, I am not doing a good job of um, Mm. because, you know, the idea and concepts that they speak about in here is is in order to um, you know you have to we're trying to elevate people right so and part of elevation is breaking the script as the text would say so you you just did you broke the script the traditional math classroom is not going to have a guitar play being played in there mm-hmm. uh, and so but and then when you did was you you provided this insight right and that's another piece of this right and you stretched him. Uh, he's repeating the class. We're trying. You're trying to stretch where he's at, but more importantly, you are providing him a high standard, saying you must do this. But you're giving him reassurance that says, if you do this, I'm going to let you do something that you love to do, and that invoked pride in this person, right? Because yeah. then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, he gets to have this really special moment with his class, and he sees that connection between. I just got pushed. I have a, there's a high standard, Mr. Emmett, you know, Amazon Joel's got a high standard here. He's giving me assurance. And then I feel this pride. And then now a connection is made. And those are all the steps that they talk about. You got to elevate people. You have to give, provide them insight. You fill them with pride and then you spark this connection. And these are those moments that he probably won't forget for the rest of his life. And so we, we miss those opportunities all the time. Um, whether it's simply, um, I, just the other day I went around the department here, uh, the athletic department on a Friday afternoon, and I literally took a bag of candy and just went to every single person I could find, um, between three and three forty-five, and just handed a piece of candy out. And I just said, Hey, thanks for everything this week. And, you know, it may have been corny, maybe it's, you know, people could look at me and be like, you're a, you're a college athletic director and what are you doing? But I mean, people were like, 
it sparked conversation. So in giving a moment of pride to somebody, it provided this opportunity for a connection. And then next thing you know, you know, it's sparking something and they're taking that moment and creating something out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that idea of multiplying milestones. I mean, I think that's probably what shuts down that idea could not uh, could avoid people shutting down their dreams. Mm -hmm. Right. Like not just I'm going to create a podcast it maybe it's i'm going to listen to five podcasts i'm going to figure out what equipment i need you know like these milestones that i get to a place and then i can invite someone for their first uh conversation so we can see yeah. if we can do this with two people like that sort of thing or you know whatever the it is uh my son noah who's sitting in the room here with me uh he ran a half marathon uh this year as a 13 year old is amazing but, you know, it doesn't just start with run a half marathon. It's like, can you run a mile without stopping? Right. Can you run a 5K? Can you, you know, and eventually ends it where he's able to do that. It's, you know, so proud of him. But, like, it became we figured out what are these milestones that he needed to have in, in place in order to achieve that kind of loftier goal. Right? Well, and that's precisely one of the areas that I know as in my role in athletics as an educator that I have got to get redirected. We so focus on these large outcome-based goals and win you know, the championship every right? year. You got to win the championship. You got to win the you know scoreboard matter. All these things, right? And they're you got to raise a certain amount of money. You got to do. You got to have a certain amount of success. And what we forget is, and it's something I instituted when I got here a couple years ago was we do mid-season evaluations. I, I was so frustrated with um, all of these uh, of the lack of uh, care that we would put into end of season evaluations, same as teaching evaluations, right? I mean, like how many times does a person really read them when they're at the end? You know, they're either kind of taking a pot shot at the end. They don't fill them <laughs> out because they're tired, you know? And so we instituted a, okay, what are we at the mid-season point? Like what, what's the temperature and climate of the people? And boy, I mean that you want to talk about stretching for insight, like that can elicit some really tough truth at a tough period of time. But I think if I, we all better thought of our years in smaller chunks that we, and, and we give ourselves permission to say, okay, after this first couple, three weeks, where are we at? Do I need to redirect the milestone? Do I need to push the milestone? Mm. Do I need to keep on the path that we're on? Um, we are so worried about a big chunk and a big outcome that we forget that if we just broke it up into these smaller chunks, we might actually elicit better better moments. Because there are times where we in our mind as teachers and educators think, boy, this is where they need to be at this point. Well, if they're not there, well, whose fault is that? Right. I mean, we can blame them or we have to also take some responsibility for that. And yeah. maybe I'm saying something that's you know going to really elicit some reaction out of people. But it's my firm belief that it's too late to wait to the end of something to figure out where you screwed it up. In the middle of that, you know, they talk about this whole idea of connection and this whole idea of deepening ties and creating shared meaning. Well, you do that by actually having a vulnerable conversation with your class or your team or your or your staff like I have and say, boy, it's October. I thought we were going to be somewhere. We're not there. So 
here's where we need to here you know let's talk what happened what kept us from being here and then in turn well where should we go from here and inviting more people to have that meaningful dialogue i think is really critical oh yeah i mean and again anytime where you have people interacting with each other you know that it's like sweet tart you can have some sweet and you can have some sour and like there's ways that you can <laughs> you can work within that those relationships and kind of leads into that connection thing that you can what are some things that we can do to intentionally like uh, mend some fences or whatever we need to do? Um, and I think also with me, like why if I see some a student uh, going off the rails, you know, there's things in the middle that we could do. Like, you know, we talk about midterm grades or whatever. But even just knowing that we have electronic grade books and most people do now, too, that you can see like, wow, this this person is going off and so like identifying what are some milestones that I want for my students like I want them to be yep. in attendance of a certain amount I want them to have a certain uh, I have an assignment that's just basically kind of a you're doing it it's also mostly just it's an effort sort of assignment and I want that assignment to be at a certain level and if either of those two things attendance or that effort level assignment falls down a certain level we're having a conversation immediately mm-hmm. like it's not a mid you know a mid-season um mid-season evaluation it's a i'm checking i got a dashboard i'm checking it if anyone's in the red we're having a conversation so that yeah. we can we can do something about it rather than oh wow you got an this grade at the end that you weren't expecting that i'm sorry it, but having that conversation in the middle like hey what What's your goal for this course? Your current performance is not leading you to that point, right? These are two things. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Is this the right you know, path for you or, or what can we do to help you out? And sometimes that leads to some really good conversations where they're sharing some struggles that they're having and we can mm-hmm. remedy them. And if we don't do it, we just think, oh, they're a student. They don't care or, or they're, right. you know, after the, you know, they're being selfish on the field. Like that's not that's not always the case. There's usually a reason people want to perform. Um, and so like, how can we help them get at those, uh, those reasons? It can, it can be very overwhelming to think about having to take a team or a class or a staff from point A to point B and thinking about that destination and all the things that could happen. And where this text really, where this book really resonated with me was in terms of these milestones was this whole notion of multiple finish lines and getting Mm, people to understand that there are multiple benchmarks that we need to have that will help spark either dissonance or stretching to seek self-improvement or encourage courage, which then can help them break this script that is the typical student teacher player coach relationship boss supervisor relationship and it's in those moments that are going to create these sparks that we hope are going to ignite a peak but it may also ignite the desire to fill the pit right Mm -hmm. and and that's where i really think we need to challenge teachers and coaches that are listening to this uh, or people in business leaders that we too often expect them to come to us we have more information than we have way more knowledge and information about this the situation about what's going on we need to be more intentional and then gather more information so that we can see where that connection and that disconnect is 
and yeah, people say, well, that takes time. Okay, well, if you want to be a good team or a good leader, then just keep doing the same things over and over again. <laughs> you want to be great? You want to be in a great organization? That's what these books talk about. Like This book, along with many others, talk about how do you go from good to – I mean there's literally the text, good to great. <laughs> good but how do you go from good to great? Well, you have to do something different and special, and that's where this text – is really challenging us to say like we know that life is you know going to have its ups and downs how do we create more ups than downs and how do we make the downs not so down and the ups keep multiplying yeah so like which i mean i guess what you're saying too is you having information experience can help a coach uh develop what are some healthy milestones given the current position of their program i could think about what are some healthy milestones for students that i'm having in their development as a teacher given their current level and where they want to be you know and and thinking about that for with our information and knowing that at least in the like the red flag scenario that i gave before where you know a kid thinks oh i'm doing okay i missed a couple assignments eh, I, I missed a few classes and they don't see a red flag being waved. Meanwhile, I see, you know, red flags and fire coming out of the, the right. ship, you know, like, hey, OK, I can I can help you in this scenario. But uh, the milestones thing got me thinking, uh, and especially they talked about exposure therapy as well, about the, mm -hmm. that other book that we were reading together, um, the 12 Rules book and Jordan Peterson and, and his talking about like how, the importance of knowing that if by breaking things down, you know, you can make better the world around you in just like little itty bitty increments, right? It might just start with yep. cleaning the desk. It might start with little things like that. And knowing that it doesn't have to be overwhelming. I think some of the things in this book, um, you know, sound like these huge things that to overtake or to design, these huge moments to design, but they don't have to be. And they make that point later in the book. Um, they're talking about these could be very, you know, small things to at, to start in order to get you to that desired outcome one of the first things um that one of the first things that text talks about heath and heath say in and it's back on page 54 and 55 is this whole notion of the service industry and how they're always playing defense and never offense yeah and i i mean you want to talk about <laughs> you know hitting it on the head and then you know um and and they mentioned, uh, you know, a company, uh, Magic Castle leaders play offense, um, but they don't try to make everything perfect. But but and this is the, the, the statement that really resonated with me. But they nail the moments that stay with you. Right. And that's what makes an exceptional educator exceptional is you're not going to be perfect. But when that moment is about to happen, you strike. And you know that this is a critical moment. And I so often have, in my opinion, as a leader in higher education, have failed in playing too much defense. Like mm -hmm. I'm constantly always putting out a fire or worried about having to figure out something. And it's like I, I so badly am, have, have re, really challenged myself to think this summer as I'm going into next school year, how can I play more offense? Like this is who we are. And how do I do how you do that is you define better moments by being more courageous. Like, and you just say like, this is our, this is who we are And uh, and we need to, to get through the high pressureness of life. You know, it talks in there about 
how high pressure for results leads to urgency to get things done, which leads to bias, which leads to a lack of accountability and all of these negative moments. And we all need to find a way. We owe it to the people that we are serving as leaders to slow and simplify things down and to try to make sure that, you know, so whether it's a department chair in um, an educational setting, whether it's a head coach for the assistant coaches and the players, whether it's an AD for all of the people underneath their care, all the head coaches, it's our job to get things simplified and to think about how do we play offense and not constantly play defense. Yeah. I think, and I guess maybe part of that courage, you know, that you talk about is putting trust in those in your organization. If you have, and this kind of goes to my last learning of designing moments that instill this shared purpose Mm. and we have, and we have this shared purpose and then having the courage to say to, you know, those that you are leading or those within your classroom to say like, this is what we do. This is what we're, you know, this is, this is our, you know, area of influence go and operate under this purpose. And just knowing that there's so much power in the purpose. Right. Um, And that having courage, knowing that, yeah, they might make mistakes, but if it's towards that purpose, like you can probably make small corrections to, to them, to them, but that knowing that they're going to be in, inspired to keep moving towards that thing that they're everyone's sharing. Yeah. You know, and another thing, Joel, that what this reminds me of is, you know, I sat through our conference meetings um, yesterday all day and um, the first meeting went a little long and then everyone was kind of like, you know, I share to say fair to say cranky because it went longer and then we cut into lunch but then we saw an opportunity to to start the next meeting earlier and then as soon as it was over we wanted it to be done as fast as possible and we were then scheduled for a dinner at like 5 30 and the meeting ended at like 2 30 it was scheduled to go to you know 4 or 4 30 and all i could think to myself was what a missed moment like never again for another six months or three months, probably, yeah, almost six months, will I see my colleagues who are all athletic directors across the conference together at any one time. Mm. And almost shame on us for missing the moment, for allowing um, the need to want to be done with a meeting, to check boxes, to say, oh, we, we, we did all the conversations. It's like, Yes, we're so busy. Yes, it's the end of the year. Yes, it's tired. But all I could think to myself is, boy, we really should have used this moment, taken advantage of this opportunity to actually talk about real things instead of just business things and and make decisions about, you know, policies and procedures. Um, and, And for me, um, I, you know, I was so frustrated walking away from that meeting because all I could think to myself is like, there's some really smart people in this room. There's some really gifted and talented leaders and I missed a chance to actually hear from them about how they do things. And I don't know, even know who to blame because like in some ways we, we should just, I, I'm just going to blame myself because that's part of what this book talks about in terms of not <laughs> blaming others. Yeah. Um, but pulling accountability, but, but I'm looking to leadership within an organization too, to be able to say, okay, we have an extra hour. Let's talk about this or let's, you know, let's have a discussion about this. Um, but we get too caught up in, and it's partly because I don't think we realize the opportunity that we have in front of us and we take things for granted. And, 
And you know, this book has reminded me, um, even in, even if you look at the cover, it says why certain experiences have extraordinary impact, extraordinary impact. Like that's that's something we can create. But we take it so much for granted. Mm -hmm. And as educators and teachers, we think, oh, it's another school year. So here we go. We got to do the same lesson, you know, same first syllabus day, same this, then it, you know, I, you know, let's the the books is so awesome about like, let's break the script. Like, let's figure out how to raise the stakes and try to do something different. Um, what do we have to lose? Right. Because ultimately we know we're going to get to from point A to point B, but will we get from A to better? That's right. the catch, right? That's the key. Yeah. And, and, uh, so not taking advantage of that moment and maybe that frustration with your meeting, like that was with my, uh, my last learning was like, and I didn't have a better way to phrase it, but not using groups is selfish. Like, you know, I can create opportunities where, you know, it's just me in front of a classroom where everyone is going to face me. And, you know, I'm in charge of, you know, basically facilitating like 30 other, 30 relationships that if the, their relationship with me is like lacks trust, like boom, that whole class is shot, right? versus if I create opportunities for them to connect together, right? If I create opportunities for them to build relationships within small groups and things like that, I have, I have a better chance for a, a defining moment to occur, right? It, otherwise, it's all dependent on me. It's all dependent on my relationship. And it, I, don't, I don't know how your meeting was structured, if it was one person's in charge and everyone needs to talk kind of through them or at their permission. Like... Maybe there's a, a real problem within the conference that, or you know, a, a dynamite solution to something that has already been solved at some place. And just if they would have the opportunity for someone to recognize it, and then that someone else to bring it to someone's attention, and all of a sudden we have all of this insight in the room where before, if it didn't go through the grand the grand pumba, like it's not going to happen, right? And and that's you know you see that a lot of cases in classrooms where you know the only there is a there's one person in charge and there, well, there's always a person in charge, but the person in charge and are they allowing the interactions to happen where great things can occur, right? Mm -hmm. Is that happening or not? So, yeah, you know, so as a part of this conference meetings, the day before we, we got all, we, we made a decision to bring every single staff member from every single, um, from every single institution in our conference. There was over 250 almost 250 people that came together and were talking about mental health issues in our conference and with our student athletes and with each other. And for the first time it was, it was like marvelous. And now it's, you know, um, Heath and Heath talk about on 213 on page 213, creating these shared meetings. Um, when we're going to bring all these people together, we need to, we need to make sure the moment matters. Right. And, you know, that's the synchronization of moments as the text would talk about. We think it's too expensive, too complicated. It really wasn't complicated. It wasn't that expensive. People got buses. They brought people in. We had some speakers, you know, and at the end of the day, we owe it to ourselves that if we're going to do this, then we need to make it meaningful. And I always talk about this with our coaches. Uh, when we talk about, oh, are we going to bring a guest speaker in? Are we going to, if you're going to spend the resources on a, on a, a shared moment, then you've got to make sure it's impactful right. or else you've wasted 
one of the most precious resources, not alone money, but time. Right. And people and once you erode time, you erode erode their satisfaction, then the next time you bring someone in, they're going to be like, this is no good. They're going to automatically come into that shared experience, you know, with a negative connotation. And, um, and so, you know, this is, um, they talk in the text about this whole notion of, um, noticing how many peak moments are shared between weddings and baptisms. But we also need to think about the notion that we crave personal contact even if it's with strangers, that um, knowing that something matters and it's real. And when I think about this, I, I often think in terms of shared moments that too often a teacher or a coach isolates themselves to their classroom and doesn't bring other people in to share moments with their class, whether it's an assistant principal, whether it's a different teacher, whether it's as a coach, different administrators, it's almost like we want to control the moments for our people. The more people that share in the moment, the more people buy in then to what your organization is doing. And trust me, when the, when the pits happen, there's going to be better opportunity to create a peak out of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when we isolate ourselves, then and and kind of like create this little area that this is just mine, mine, mine. Yeah. Well, then you don't share the good moments, and if the only moments you share with people are negative moments, it's going to get old fast. Yeah, yeah. And someone like me, who's you know only gets hit with the negative things of your program, I never get to share in, you know, a, the locker room talks or a travel. You know, all the little things that build up to great moments, if all I'm getting is the negative moments, well, then I have a different view of your organization than you probably do or even that you think is actually happening. And so I so often and so badly always try to make sure that I, whatever I'm doing, I'm trying to share it with others. So whether for me it's a president and a senior team, like I want them to come and experience the normal day-to-day -day moments that are cool so that when I do come to them with a problem, there's like some investment and buy-in. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, and that was one of the more powerful things with regards to the, uh, the, the home visits, right? Like mm -hmm. the, that, I mean, obviously that was from a school perspective, like in, when Heath and Heath talk about this, these designed home visits where they don't bring, like teachers don't bring any, paper and it's just we're going to have a moment here where you're going to make a connection with uh, your kid's teacher and I mean and that is a seriously designed moment where the questions are scripted but it's not you know they don't they're not carrying a script and like they you know how they increase the parent uh, the parent involvement in school the parent teacher night was more well attended than any of them that I've ever heard about I mean just knowing that the the value of the connections that are made and then now again coming back to this idea of shared purpose what can be accomplished it's it's unreal like once you get behind a purpose like there's it's amazing what what can be done yeah very much so all right let's let's keep moving on that was that was a long time on our high five but that was good there i mean there's a lot again great book there's lots in it and encourage people to go get it for themselves so uh next category the more you know so now that you know better gary after yeah. reading this book, what would you have done differently in some situation in your past? There you go. This is, this should be a good one. So I I think I go back to the um, the whole idea of what I'm really what my real purpose is in terms of the elevation that I should be providing 
um, the people that I work with and, and really understanding the desire to play offense, not defense and to fill pits and build peaks for people that too often I get focused on actually identifying the pits that I forget to figure out how to actually build peaks. And, um, and that's, that comes from playing defense that comes from being reactive that comes from really not being in shared moments with people and only seeing sound bites of their work and then you know you're called in you get you know you get a, a parent call or you get a call from another person on campus that says so and so is having a problem or doing the wrong thing and so then the only time the person sees you is identifying the pit that they probably already feel like they're in mm. and so I think I need to work a lot harder, especially on a one-on-one -on -one level with the people that I lead, of making sure that I'm acknowledging pits, but also what can I do to fill the pit and help fill the pit, and then how can we build to the next peak? Yeah, I, I was going to go in the same uh, direction. So I, I think, you know, I talked before about the whole idea of a written learning celebration and thinking about the... Uh, you know, having exams or tests or whatever and trying to fill that pit and try to make it into a peak. I think I've done a good, a decent job of filling the pit, but I really haven't made it into a peak. Because really, when you do come to the end of a, a for example, the end of a, a semester, right, final exams, it's never a more stressful time for a student, especially some of these education students that I deal with. Like, they're in a lot of different courses. Sometimes they're in content areas. Sometimes they're doing, you know, lots of projects in their education courses. And so... How do you really, how do we build a peak? And really thinking about what are the outcomes that I want? And, and that brought me to the, the quality, shoot, there's the Course Design Institute, right? And thinking mm -hmm. about, you know, what is the, what are those end objectives that I want? Like, I want my students to be, you know, professionals who are uh, sharing the knowledge that they have gained with others and so that we can all get better in this profession that we love. Right. And so how do we see that in the final celebration that we are showing we are doing the things that I want them to do as they go out into the field? And so yeah. I, I, I think, I, again, like I said before, I think I've done a decent job of filling a uh, filling a pit, but I, I want to build a higher peak or mm -hmm. build a peak. Um, so that's that's where I would go. So we're kind of in agreement there. Yeah. I think the other one for me is um, the realization of uh, my missteps in terms of goal setting and and mm. really not being more intentional with the staff about setting small milestones. You know, we do um, something that's really unique in athletics, but every three weeks I ask the coaches to rate rate their athletes for their Aff affinity for the university you know retention is a huge issue on all college campuses but in small private colleges even more so and I'm asked I ask them you know every three weeks I want you to check in with your athletes and tell me like grade them on how strongly you feel they're connecting to your team and to the university um, and what I think I need to do is better connect that exercise to their actual milestones and goals, mm. right? So that every three weeks, we're, we're, I'm asking them to say, how are you progressing along in terms of your, you know, your, your, your goal of winning the conference championship, your goal of having a GPA at a certain place, your goal of recruiting a certain number of people, like, and really set up very intentional, like, hey, let's, let's sit down. And even if it's electronic, um, which isn't, 
the, the text would tell you that electronic communication isn't always the best for this, but sometimes out of necessity, you need to make some of these moments happen where you, you're just saying, I want you just to pause for a second and tell me where you're at. You know, where are things going at this moment in time uh, with these areas? And I think we, again, it's the, the old adage of how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? And it sounds so corny and we all, but it's true. Like we need to find a way to say, man, the last three weeks, this is how things went. Here's what's coming up the next three weeks. And this is maybe where I need to course re redirect or I need to stay firm with where we're at or boy, I need to abandon ship right now and we got to figure something else out. Yeah. And um, too often we're too afraid to change and it's only then in the aftermath that we sit down and say, boy, I wish I had, or I wish I had just done or listened to this or, um, and too often, I, I think, especially in our line of work, um, we, we don't take the feedback from our students fast enough. Um, we don't take it seriously enough and we're, and then it becomes nuclear. Like they don't listen to me. They don't care about what I have to say. And it's right. like, you know, and how do we create these leadership moments? And that's something that I'm really striving to try to figure out for next year as I'm going into our school year is, you know, how do we slow things down, simplify them and really think about what milestones we really want to accomplish in small, smaller windows? Yeah, because then when you make an, you know, it's like if you go for that longer goal of not winning, you know, winning the conference championship and like there is a, you know, a, a situation that happens like oh all of a sudden like a conference championship is not in the in the in the cards for us versus if there was a smaller milestone in between where we yeah we missed that well then that's just an adjustment to that that other goal is still the bigger goal is still out there it's just we need to make a little bit a little adjustment i think about the uh parallels with standards and objectives you know mm -hmm. so a, a objective is a small so in teachers we think about objectives that you can do within a lesson like students should be able to do this by the end of a lesson and those are all towards some sort of standard that the students should be able to meet by the end of a school year and you think of like okay if we're not meeting this objective today that doesn't mean that the standards out the window it just means we might have to adjust the objective tomorrow to compensate for whatever level of understanding of that objective that we had yesterday. And so, mm -hmm. so on and so forth down the line and that it just makes for small adjustments that's easier to take than, oh, well now the big goal is, is out. You know, I can't, it's, it's too far out there. I can't even touch it, so. I think we all get focused on our content area so much. You know, like you are, you teach math, a football coach coaches football, um, uh, you know, basketball coaches basketball, uh, history teacher teaches history, we focus so much on delivering content that we forget that the absorption of that content and its connection to their bigger life is going to mean much more to them in the long run than anything they ever learn on, an, on, a, on a grease board, either doing a formula or watching an X and an O block each other to score a touchdown, right? right. And so, you know, somehow, you know, when, you know, it's 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 clear that the text concentrates on again it's on the cover which says there's power in moments and there are certain experiences that will have extraordinary impact and we have to find ways to use our content as a vehicle to create these experiences and then have extraordinary impact 
Nice. All right, we need to keep moving along here. So I think that was a good one to, to end on that category. Let's let's go for. Should we do the scenario or should we do the sum it up? I was thinking maybe to flip those. Sure, we can flip those. Awesome. What, what scenario are you All thinking right, about? So here's the scenario. So let's say I am a, a leader within a uh, within a school, okay? And I'm in charge of uh, charge of helping reshape a department, right? Mm -hmm. Department's having some issues and I wanted to like provide some sort of vision and thinking about, okay, if this uh, and uh, pr provide some vision and direction for a department to take up, right? So okay. they might be having some issues, and but I need to give them some direction and then help them live out that direct. So almost give them a purpose and help them live out that purpose. How would you think? So this is like a let's let's just say it's an elementary school, right? And maybe it's a uh, the math teachers within an elementary school. Well, if we use the formula that kind of this text talks about, um, the first thing would be is I'm thinking about, so we're trying to get this group to, to move kind of, to the next place, come yeah. together and move to the next place. Right. So then I have to I have to view myself in terms of leadership like a mentor would, and I have to create some high standards, but I have to have assurances that are built into there. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's part of the first thing is um, – and one of the things Heath and Heath talks about is this notion of the moments of insight that are necessary. And so sometimes telling people that we don't have a good culture is an important thing. We think we do. Of course, no one wants to admit we're not, we're not succeeding or we're not having a good, good experience. But if the reality is the culture is broken, then having them, as the text would say, trip over the truth and really get into this notion of stretching themselves to see that there are other possibilities. So sometimes it's, it comes in the form of just sharing anecdotes or stories or videos or mm. Ted talks with people that says like, Hey, listen, like this is what other people are, are doing and they are making it successful. And it's not because they have more resources. It's not because they're smarter than you. It's because they've just invested more um, sweat equity, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's the infusion of, of physical resources and equity in an organization, but then there's just the sweat equity it takes to actually move a place from where it's at to get them to be better. And so I think the idea of, of the realization that the leader is a mentor to all of these people, that they have to create some sense of higher standards and accountability, and but also give them assurances that if they fail, it's exactly what we're hoping for like we're expecting this to be difficult we're mm -hmm. i'm expecting you to trip over i'm expecting this not to be because you know the heath and he talk about um you know most people don't move because they're fearful but on page 181 they say courage is the resistance to fear the mastery of fear not the absence of fear so it's going to be difficult it's gonna it to get a group to to break down their their barriers and to come together is not easy. I mean, it's really difficult. It's It's been one of the things that I've been working with here for over five years, and I still am not sure we're completely over the hump yet. But it's constantly reinforcing some of the truths. It's creating standards, holding accountabilities, but then also not being afraid to fill the pit and yeah. provide them assurances. Yeah, it... Maybe I mean I guess it also to it 
depends on within this scenario on like what is what is the level of problem right so uh, that got me thinking and it's one of the more uh provocative examples that they provide in the book the uh sanitation example the community-led total sanitation where they're talking about you know going into communities where there might not be a common place to uh relieve yourself let's just put it that way and so i mean they do this very systematic um uh demonstration of hey where are people going to the bathroom in this community and they mm-hmm. i mean and by the end of this uh and you got to get the book and read it I, I just get the book and read it but uh at the end i mean people are so disgusted by the reality that they're surrounded with that they that's a that's a that's a mo- that well that's a defining moment defining where moment. where they come together with a purpose like no we need to solve this problem today now mm-hmm. and so to have you know, in, in some cases where, especially in a school where you're dealing with children and to be like, you know, the, there's kids in the balance here, right? And like in this sanitation example, lives are in the balance, your health is in the balance. But in this case, kids' futures are in the balance where the impact of a third, let's say a third grader uh, in their math abilities with fractions and adding and multiplication, like there's definite ripples throughout their academic career. And like mm-hmm. what how do we get the power of that situation um, communicated within that group? I mean, maybe there is a sort of like a shocking moment like that where, uh, yeah. hey, this is, this is what we're dealing with. And whatever, this, whatever is getting in the way of us having this shared purpose, that needs to go away now. And, and to, you know, it's one of those movie moments. But I think what this book helps you see is that those movie moments, like in, uh, you know, some of the sports movies where they all come together, like those can be, those aren't just in a script and in Hollywood, they could be designed. And that's what, one of the things that I love about this book is that you can think about how to design those moments and think about these elements that they've called for. Yeah. The, on 127, uh, when they're talking about this concept of stretching for insight, they talk about that there's a formula for mentorship that, is you have these high standards plus assurance, but also you have to give them direction and support. And that's the key piece, right? Which mm-hmm. is at some level, you have to provide them opportunities. So say you're trying to influence this community and people are rejecting you. There are going to always be in an organization, no matter whether you like it or not, there's going to always be people who are just going to reject the, any change. There's going to be people though on the bell curve that are Maybe sometimes it's for altruistic reasons because they really do care and they want to achieve. And sometimes it's just because you're the boss and they're still morally developed in a place where they don't want to they want to please their boss and they'll do what they're told to do. So as we've got to we've got to remember as leaders that we need to then latch on to those that are looking to move and change and really invest direction and support to them so that then the others around them are going to see these others that are going to start accomplishing things. And then that's when the insight occurs. When you start using data and information saying this team did these things that we were talking about, or this classroom did these things that we were talking about and look at the place it jumped from here to here. And knowing through all of this, that the realization is that 
as a mentor or a leader, your job is to create productive stress. That, that, that's what we were supposed to do. That on 20, page 121, they talk about that our job as the leader is to create this productive stress in people and that we're not here to be liked. We're not here to be pat on the back. We're, we have a job to do and that the job is to create productive stress. And maybe you're doing things, you know, I talk, somebody said something to me about this, you know, I go back to the culture that we have here and we, our staff went to this um, all staff uh, day and uh, with the conference and somebody said to me and she was like, I'm just shocked that of the amount of people that you had here, the amount of people outside of your department that you had here, and I'm shocked at the level of engagement that they had. And that was a prideful moment for me because mm-hmm. it's kind of like the, the the parent that learns that when their child is away from them that they're really on good behavior, even though I feel like every day my staff is hating my guts and try, and drive <laughs> in trying to you know find every way possible to not do what I'm asking them to do. The the reality is whether they did it by choice or out of you know developmentally they just did what the boss told them to do. That they impressed upon outsiders that something good is happening here. And to me, that moment is in it needs to be capitalized on and it needs to change my mindset about the way I look at my staff. Like I can't, I, I've got to stop thinking about them where they were and realize that that was a defining moment for our department. Somebody from the outside, multiple people said, I can't believe how many people you got here. I can't believe their level of engagement. And to me, like that's, that's where you start to see like, my gosh, we've got a peak. A peak is, I, I thought we were in the pit. And we actually have a peak going on here. Mm. And how do I keep building on this yeah. and keep empowering them? Uh, that's and that's exactly the thing that your scenario talks about. Is you know it's not easy, but you got to find the groups of people that are going to latch in. You make things fun, memorable for them, and you help them see the outcomes. And then the rest are going to look at them because they're just naturally a either risk averse. Or B, they just don't trust until they see it for themselves. Right. And then once people start buying in and seeing the production that you're having, then it then you can bring others along. But but telling them I told you so or why didn't you do this from the beginning will only destroy anything you're trying to build. You've got to humble yourself as a mentor or a leader, uh, and you've got to just pick them up whenever they choose to pick up, uh, and get get them going whenever they choose to get going. Nice. That's uh, excellent, excellent. All right, final uh, final thing. So I, I called it sum for seven. I have a seven-year-old. So how would you, Gary Williams, sum up this book for a first grader? Uh, he, he's a pretty good first grader. He, he is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. He's pretty talented. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking about this, and I thought about how challenging this was because I'm like, how would I talk to a seven, seven-year-old about this? And all I could think, the, the, the analogy that came into mind is – you know, asking like, well, so why do you go on roller? Do you go on roller coasters, or why would you go on a roller coaster? And some people go on a roller coaster just because, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't go on roller coasters because I don't like the way it makes me feel, right? And so, but some people go on a roller coaster, and and they go, they'll go, and they're still hated. But others go because it's really exciting to them. And one of the things that I was thinking about if I was talking to a seven-year-old about this book is that life is like a roller coaster. It's going to have peaks 
and it's going to have pits, and it's going to have these transitions that are going to occur, that are going to build to either a peak or a pit. And then why are you riding this roller coaster of life? I, I want you to ride it because uh, not to be fearful of the drops mm. or the dips, but to be excited about the drops and the dips. And that this book really is going to challenge us to create our own roller coaster of life that, you know, if we just created a straight street, it wouldn't be as much fun. It really wouldn't. And we wouldn't grow. And yeah, we get from point A to point B, but we really get inspired and jacked up. And so when, when the roller coaster dips because, and it, it's scary because it's going straight down, we have to realize that it's about to pick back up again. And, and in that picking up, there's anticipation, right? And to think about what those emotions and feelings are like when you're on a roller coaster and think about what, how they translate to life. And, you know, we need to create these experiences as a leader. Um, we owe it to the people that we have, that we are going to be that, that one person or one moment that it could be away from them experiencing these greatest successes and that the book challenges us to intentionally define those moments of excitement that are going to elevate people, challenge them to seek the truth, or as the text would talk about is insight, uh, fill them with so much pride that they're going to seek to do this for others and are going to connect people in a powerful way so that when you do start coming down and it feels scary on the roller coaster, you've got someone to hold their hand with. Like who likes to go to roller coasters on by themselves? Yeah. Some people do, but like thinking about the person that's next to you and we scream because we want to just, we, we feel this, it makes us feel better as we're going through these tough moments, but it makes us even better when we go through tough moments together. So I, I didn't do a good job. No, I don't know if you understand was, it. That but. was nice work. I, I like that a lot. I, yeah. I was going a little, a little shorter. Yeah, a little where sim- were you going to go? I, I went, so you know, I'm, I'm a little the, bit more verbose, so I, that, you know me. <laughs> words are hard for me sometimes, but uh, a lot of times. But anyway, when we're talking, we could give stories about me trying to talk in front of leadership school for the first we'll time. We'll do that on another wow. podcast. Yeah. So um, thinking about mind your manners. I live in the South, so that's something we do down here. I was like, mm. mind your moments, right? Oh. And so being aware, and, and I think a lot of the kids in schools now they're even being uh you know brought into this idea of mindfulness and being present within the Mm -hmm. moment right trying to be aware of their breathing or trying to be aware of their body and thinking about minding your moments and thinking about you know where is you know what is happening right now right and do i have a you know an, an opportunity for connection could i learn from this moment could i you know have some pride like you know in mm-hmm. thinking about like capturing those moments more from a from a personal perspective but thinking about now if we can m- mind your moments how can you mind others moments mm. right neat and so how can you create a moment with somebody right and so that that got that that was kind of the simple way that I was thinking about it. Yeah, roller coasters and mind your moments. Mind your moments. I like it. I like it. Riding awesome. out that roller coaster. Riding out that roller coaster. Well, Gary, this was awesome. This was uh, about as good as I could imagine. Uh, I think we. I like the categories. I like the conversation. I like where it went. And uh, so maybe. <clears throat> sorry. Excuse me. I'm looking forward to doing this again. Maybe we just have to think about what the next book could be. So we'll yeah. come up with some ideas. And we, I know we got some, some posts on Facebook about maybe some areas of leadership that we can dive deeper in. Uh, uh, 
that uh, I definitely could lend on uh, your expertise. But, you know, if people have ideas for books or other things, again, we would like to keep hearing from you. And that came, we'll, from, we'll that came from Brock or Brody, right? I mean, uh, some, some being. Billy, that... yeah, I, I, I can't yeah, yeah. recall. So anyway, but yeah, looking forward to keep doing this as we have our opportunities. So at a, at a minimum, I get another opportunity to talk with my friend Gary. So I appreciate it. Yeah, Gary. and at a minimum, I get a chance to talk with my friend Joel, and hopefully through our conversations, um, we're helping people not only get from A to B but A to better. Ooh, <laughs> I like it. Fantastic. All right, Gary. On that note, I'm gonna sign off. See you, Gary. Sounds good. Good night. Or have a good <laughs> good night, good afternoon, whatever where, you're listening where to. Where are we at? Whatever, you know. Yeah. Thanks, Joel. All right. Thank you, Gary. So thankful for Gary being willing to take the time and share his perspective on the book. I look forward to having more conversations with Gary. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's an excuse to talk to a friend. So it's, it's awesome. So thank you for the positive support and wanting him to uh, continue to do this with me. I appreciate it. I think we have a good thing going here. And, again, I look forward to more opportunities to talk with him. So on the next episode of the Amazon Planet podcast, we'll be featuring something around my upcoming trip to Haiti to work with the 410 Bridge and some of their partner communities and their schools in Haiti. One book that has influenced the work of the 410 Bridge is When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor and Yourself by Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert. That's been an amazing book for me. I know how much I've learned a lot from that book on working with teachers, students, and schools, um, and in this case, communities. But So maybe we'll... We will feature that book, or maybe we'll have an interview, or maybe both. I don't know. Subscribe to the podcast, and you will be one of the first to find out when that episode will drop uh, two weeks uh, from when this episode drops. So that is all for Episode 5 of the Amazon Planet Podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 5. If you want to continue this conversation and or support the podcast, please do one one or all of the following. Subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or Google Play. You can also follow the podcast in Spotify. Share the podcast. That's a good thing to do. Uh, you know, with anyone that you think, hey, they should hear this. Uh, review the podcast through your preferred podcast provider. You can like the Amadon Planet Facebook page. You can subscribe to the Amadon Planet email list. You can do that on AmadonPlanet.com. There's a subscribe button a little bit down on the page. Finally, I have been asked how someone can financially support the Amadon Planet podcast. So I recently started a Patreon account where folks can support me once a month to help cover some of the financial expenses of the podcast. You can find a button in my Patreon page at the bottom of AmadonPlanet.com where it says be a patron. Finally, if you just wanted to engage with me via social media, you can uh, find me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all on the handle at Amazon Planet. I'll be looking for questions and comments related to the episode, but I'll also be looking for general questions, suggestions for books review, or other content to feature on the Amazon Planet podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to episode five of the Amazon Planet podcast. Special thanks to Gary Williams for the conversation, and special thanks to Matt Mifflin for the music in this episode. Finally, thank you. To all of you out there who are seeking to be better, teach better, and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you have been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace.